0: Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Monday, the 29th of June. Now, in today's episode of the podcast, I've got a really great interview with uh, an entrepreneur who has built up an amazing kind of adventure, treetop adventure experience called GoApe, which I'm sure many of you will be familiar with. A really great story of Tristram Mayhew, the founder of GoApe, who quit his corporate life and literally ran into the woods and discovered a business, It kind of. Uh, but a lot of really useful practical advice for anyone thinking of leaving their corporate job or anyone maybe who's forced to leave their corporate job who has now an opportunity to look for opportunities. Lots on negotiating, lots on motivating staff, lots on building a successful business and go ape now uh, with revenues of 10 million a year. So definitely well worth listening to and I hope you enjoy it. Other than that, I've got some listener feedback and, and as ever, a, a really classic piece of actually new music from a band that I've not come across before called the Schizoid Club definitely well worth checking out particularly if you're into uh, Grand Central if anyone knows the Grand Central record label out of Manchester well worth listening to this last track but first I just wanted to say a big thank you to Hewlett Packard who uh, supporting Small Biz Pod Really, very much appreciated. Um, and do go and check out all of what they have to offer for uh, small businesses in the UK and beyond. And other than that, uh, I just wanted to say we've still got plenty of business books here. If you would like to send in a listener review or you'd like to receive a book, just email me at alex at uk. There have been some really classic reviews of uh, business books from listeners over the last few months. And uh, the more the merrier, as far as I'm concerned. Still have a selection of books. For example, Green IT for Dummies, if that's your scene. Making It, Women Entrepreneurs Reveal the Secrets of Their Success. Um, And The Innocent Drink Story are just three sitting on my desk in front of me right at the moment. Um, So, yeah, if you fancy a crack at, uh, well, reading any of those, just email me, I'll send them to you, and then all you have to do is record a three, four, five-minute book review in audio, send it to me, and it'll appear in the show, appear in the podcast. So uh, please do, if you're interested, drop me a line. Okay, so without further ado, let's go straight into that interview with the GoApe entrepreneur. So um, today... Uh, I'm with somebody who has possibly the best, maybe the second best, uh, <laughs> title of anyone, any entrepreneur um, or business person I've interviewed on Small Biz Pod over the years. Not so long ago, people remember I interviewed um, Joe Batista from Hewlett Packard, who was the chief creatologist, which is a very cool, very, very cool title. But I'm now confronted by the uh, chief gorilla. Uh, who are you, Mr. Gorilla? <laughs>
1: Hi, Alex. I'm Tristram Mayhew, and I set up uh, Go Ape, which is a high-wild forest adventure. Uh, this is our eighth year, so seven years ago. To how? Why? What What
0: inspired you to do that?
1: I think I was becoming deeply disenchanted with my early rising corporate climbing, frequent flying, terraced housing, young child never seeing, never getting home life, um, which I had thought would be great. and uh, And I just thought, no, I'm not going to... Find my life's work here, and I wanted to do what I really felt I could be successful at and I re evaluated what I thought success was, and for me, success was you know being around my young family and for them thinking I was successful and I just thought that was incompatible
0: with my increasingly busy and unmotivating corporate life so were you was there a point whilst you were within that corporate life that you were kind of always looking for the business idea, or did the business idea kind of tumble from the sky into your lap? Well, I think I had two or three business ideas which I thought I was quite serious
1: about. I saw opportunities and I thought there is a niche there that could be done well. And I thought I could do them well. But actually, the difference between the two that I passed up and the one that I went for was that I felt really passionate about the last option. And I thought that is what I would really love to do, regardless of whether it's successful or not. And I think that was a key motivator for me because... I strongly believe that you've got a, you, an infinitely more uh, a better chance of being successful if you are passionate about it because it won't feel like work and you'll put the hours in without even realizing it.
0: Yeah, I mean that that's such a a, a common theme. And where did you 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 discover this in France? I think the the kind of the, the formative concept that you do you developed into Goape. Yes, um, it was the the real start of the process is I had
1: spent. 10 years, including four years at university as a soldier, and left at the age of 29 when I felt the latest I could leave, um, probably, but I, I wanted to not drag a potential family through Army lifestyle, so I'd really enjoy being a soldier, I thought it was a fundamentally worthwhile job, um, and an incredibly varied, and I really liked the people, but I just thought that isn't for me the family life. But I wrote, I read a book, which a number of people recommended, which is What Colour is Your Parachute?, which is an American book, and it's a find-your-soul job, uh, as in S-O-U-L, mm. <laughs> as opposed yeah. to my case, pretty much unemployable, my only job. And um, and it asked you to do a lot of things, and one of the exercises is to write down um, proper nouns that you like being around. And I thought, well, what's the point of this? And I wrote mm-hmm. down, and then you have to put them in a matrix and choose which ones you would prioritize above others. And my list, my top ten list of proper nouns were teepees tree houses uh, bonfires water windsurfers you know, and i thought yeah. yeah i would love to be running an outward bound tree houses in in teepees in the treehouses uh, bonfire sort of center so i fully energized went and joined coca-cola as a regional sales manager <laughs> <laughs> which i really enjoyed fun enough because they allowed me to continue to wear my army boots um some shiny uh <laughs> track seat bottoms, and a bomber jacket that said, always refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> but even I could only be enthusiastic about fizzy pop for so long. And reapplied to join for um, to GE, which I'd also read another book, which was 100 Best Companies to Work For. Yeah. And Coca-Cola and GE were in the top three in IBM. Uh, sorry, Microsoft was the other one. I thought, I'm not going to get very far with them, <laughs> So um, I reapplied for G, and they were kind enough to take me on, having refused me before because I'd failed to turn up for an interview, which they quite rightly realized was possibly not a good start. But um, so I had in my mind that actually the outdoor life was for me, mm. but thought corporate life was the, way, the sensible way to go. Um, and although I learned a lot about corporate life, which somehow still, still impresses the bankers, Um, actually, I learned a huge amount about what I didn't want to do. And then when we saw this thing in France, which was a a, a derivative of what we currently do, we were already, in my mind, I was looking between 10 and 12 o'clock, you know, I was looking in direction for something outdoor. And I knew that this wasn't happening in the UK. And I was looking for something forestry based. Mm. um, For no particular rational reason, I just thought I'd like to do something in the forest. Um, And saw that opportunity. I think if I hadn't, gone through that process I probably wouldn't
0: have recognized it as the opportunity it turned out to be. Um, just for those who perhaps haven't come across GoApe I know this is you know radio style (laughs) description but just give us a give us a flavor of what the 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 GoApe experience actually involved.
1: I assume actually you don't mean that I think you probably mean um, well we're uh, it takes about three hours. We put you into a climbing harness. Uh, we give you some training, which we think is reasonable to do, and then you climb up rope ladders into the treetops and swing through about a kilometre of, of forest, not directly supervised, across um, a variety of obstacles: rope bridges, swings, Tarzan, and zip slides.
0: Um, and it uh, gives you a, an enormous sense of well-being. There's an interesting thing. Just, just uh, a couple of sort of technical things about the experience. Um, and first, firstly, uh, in a lot of what you say, you talk about keeping that the sense of adventure as being important, and in the kind of health and safety obsessed land that we live in, uh, creating an experience where there remains an element of risk, or at least the impression of an element of risk, must have been quite hard to achieve. How did you handle that whole process? Well,
1: you're quite right. We are, uh, we are built on customer wow, but we have designed in risk. You know, it is the... Um, when you go around, you have to take responsibility yourself for clipping yourself on and off to... Well, on and remaining on the course as you go. But you have two safety lines. And as long as you clip stay clipped on with one you cannot fall but when you get to a junction at a tree on a platform you have to take one off clip along the other side of the junction before you can take the first off and then progress now um if you don't you if you slip tripped or pushed you would expose yourself to a very serious or fatal injury uh, because we're 14 meters off the ground and um yeah. you're probably five sufficient to
0: to have an <laughs> unpleasant
1: day yeah um, that said, we've had 1.4 million people through and no customer claims. Um, yeah. But forests are renowned for shallow graves, so don't look too closely. But, <laughs> but we, we were very keen that it was, we wanted to keep that element of risk in because we're concerned, as was to our surprise, the Royal side of prevention accidents chief inspector for, for safety and play was that he thought the country is becoming too safe mm. and that young people in particular are being denied any access to any exposure to risk such that when they get to 17 are allowed to drive a car having only ever been exposed to video games where you can pile in as much you like but no one ever gets hurt that they may actually think that's the same in a car but in fact it's a one and a half ton or half ton bomb at 70 miles an hour so he feels that this cotton wool wrapped culture that increasingly people in this country are being exposed to in the sort of bonkers conkers type world Mm. actually doesn't increase safety it increase the likelihood of people getting hurt because they no longer assimilate or get it allowed to uh, be exposed to risk and thereby learn risk assessment and risk mitigation skills such that they can live life adventurously but safely
0: yeah That's Rosper, but what about the HSE who must have been all over your place?
1: Well, we invited HSE to come in all over us. And to be fair, they've been incredibly supportive. They are fed up of being accused of being killjoys. And in fact, most health and safety sort of um, sensational headlines, when you look behind them, aren't health and safety closing things down. It's some overzealous, lay and not well-informed health and safety headlines um, job title wearing person within a corporation yeah. who misinterprets the rules and then starts putting up sort of uh these plastic flowers may contain nuts <laughs> yeah. you know signs yeah. and that gets into the papers and of course the papers enjoy a sensational yeah. headline and 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 then everyone thinks gosh the world's gone gone mad sadly though that does have real impact on eventually schools not taking uh, yeah. uh trips out but that we're we're very keen to fight that hard and actually, the HSE are incredibly keen to see us continue because um, they they want to see um, they want to see people being able to be exposed to risk. But if there is real risk, it needs to be properly managed. Yeah. Unnecessary risk about things breaking or being badly designed or trap hazards shouldn't be allowed. There's no benefit from that sort of risk. Yeah. But actually, people being able to learn confidence building and um, life-enhancing skills, risk assessment skills, is valuable and they recognize that.
0: Mm. Now, in any business, there's that, there's that, first of all, there's the kind of, um, well, there's, 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 there's the selling element, which is obviously crucial, and you've got, to go, you've got to find your customers, but there's usually one kind of defining deal that really is a bit of a breakthrough, and to me, just looking at your business from the outside, it seems to me that you clinched an incredibly important deal for you, and that was to persuade the Forestry Commission to allow you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Forestry Commission to allow you to cite your um, experiences in their forests. How did you go about securing that deal? Well, I think you're right. We were
1: very lucky. Um... In the UK, forty percent of the nation's forests are owned by the Forestry Commission. Now that's been devolved into England, Scotland, and Wales. Um, but when I thought about how to market something which was physically lost in the woods, and you could be on a busy road, but within twenty feet from the road edge, you physically can't see anything. Mm. How would you get the equivalent of a shop window? You know, um, so phone warehouse always have corner locations mm. because you get double the footfall. Where was the double footfall location in forests? Um, and I scratched my head. And it was the early days of the Internet, 2002, late 2001. And I plugged in uh, visitor, Forest Visitor Center into Google. Mm-hmm. And up came Forestry Commission and 40 dots on a map. And I thought, well, that looks good. So I approached them. I wrote to them. Um, and I just picked one district, East because My mum was from Norfolk. And I thought, well, might as well start there. And I wrote to the, the Forest District manager of East Standard District and said, look, I've got a proposal. I'd like to come and pitch to you. Can we arrange a meeting? To which I turned up with a video that I'd made, home video, <laughs> and, um, and, a, and a TV and video player and walked in and pressed play. And I didn't say anything. And I just watched the three of them, him and his recreation manager and his operations manager. And they just started talking to each other saying, this is the big idea we didn't know we were looking for. So I thought, well, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I sort of pitched my sort of GE-type presentation. So I am grateful to corporate life yeah. for a bit. Yeah. And um, and they said, we love this. We'll offer you a single-site deal for three years. And I said, no, I'm not going to chuck in my career um, to do that because in three years' time, I'll have nothing. I want a multi-site deal. I want to get the first one right and then five sites yeah. after that so that competitors can't just come in and offer you more. Yeah. And they said, well, we can't offer you that. You'll have to go to England, and they won't. You know, they won't agree to that. So I went to England, which was an office in Bristol, um, and spoke to their, um, the mainland agent of the country. And what I didn't realise was that what I thought they wanted was different from what they actually wanted. They wanted to have companies who could come in and do lots of locations for whom they could only have to quality control one organization and beat yeah. up one team if you get it wrong or whatever yeah. and build a relationship with one team. Actually, for them, in a high-risk activity, you don't want 10 operators all with mm. different t- qualities. Mm. Um, so they wanted to, to select organizations that had the organizational stretchability plus the determination ambition to do loads because once they built that relation once, great if they get 10 times the rent, or in our mm. case, 20 times mm. the rent. So... Um, we asked for, I wanted to have 10 years. And so I asked for 21 thinking, asked for Dublin a bit more. Yeah. I actually came away with 26. And instead of a five year, five, a six site location, they said, if you do six sites within four years, because we want you to push on yeah. and not just be all talk and no trousers, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll give you an exclusive use for all our land in perpetuity. Or at least for the rest of it, that is some deal. Yeah, and it was great. It's great for them, yeah. which I now realise, and yeah. it's great for us because actually, people who wanted to come and compete against us, uh, um, you know, found it hard. Now there are lots of private landowners and other things, yeah. but the great thing is having got the Forestry Commission, which is government backed or yeah. government owned, other organisations of amenity forests, which already have visitor centres and mountain yeah. bike trails and places. They were going well. If it's good enough for the Forestry Commission, probably good enough for us. So. People have approached us ever since saying, would you be interested in coming to our country park? Or, no, no. So it's been great. And I think it's been great for them. They've had over a million pounds. Uh, we put all the capex in. So yeah. it's been at no cost to them. Yeah. And we've ticked lots of anti-obesity and um, yeah. getting kids out from their PlayStation
0: boxes, which yeah. is a government organization. They're very keen for the social benefits that Go8 brings now i mean uh, uh, going to kind of the philosophy of go eight the business philosophy there's also a, a, a lot about the kind of the uh, allowing people who go through the experience to understand better um some of the environmental issues around forestry uh, both locally and 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 more broadly globally how important is that element in terms of the 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 the, the, the environmental educational element as it were
1: well from the beginning, I think we clearly identified, we, we saw ourselves as a brand. We yeah. weren't just a high ropes um, company. We currently mainly are. Yeah. But we saw ourselves as being about creating adventures and encouraging people to live lives more adventurously. We currently use a vehicle of high rope courses in, in mm-hmm. forest to do that. Um, what we then went through and exercise is what are we and what are we not? And what are our values? And one of our values, we felt we wanted to be socially and environmentally responsible. And yeah. we wanted to do the right thing, which is a catch-all. You know, so when we think about things, we say, well, what's the right thing to do? And, and there's a bunch of other things, too, about you know, being creating worthwhile, well-rewarded careers and, and so on. Now, from an environmental perspective, our business currently is physically built on the long-term beauty and health of the forest. So it would be crazy from a business perspective not to look after your environment. Mm. But also, for the sort of people we want to attract to work for us and the customers uh, who come, we want people... You know, we want to attract people who are interested in that, you know, and so it would be crazy not to. Now, we are all um, very keen to be good custodians, um, but it makes strong business sense too. And it also gives us a differentiator in terms of competitors, because we invest in FSC timber cabins that look beautiful and very Hansel and Gretel-like, whereas most competitors go down the sort of paintball route, which is if it's a you know, steel container possibly clad or or covered in camouflage netting and that looks just not beautiful yeah. or sympathetic with the environment yeah. and ours cost 30 grand as opposed to 3 grand oh. but i think we get that back in space by people going well you know they've really invested here and i understand why it's a premium yeah. uh, product and yeah. it's something which if they're getting that attention to detail right Um, then maybe they'll help me out if I'm stuck up in the trees. I have confidence that they are a first-rate organization, which if you've got your young family at 40 meters
0: up in the trees, you want to have that sort of Mm. degree of confidence. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Um, Obviously, this big deal with the Forestry Commission meant that uh, you had had access to customers. So to all intents and purposes, you had customers ready-made. Would that be a fair summary?
1: Yes. I mean, I was very in mind, I had in mind the Sokarfa and House analogy that you can be you know, two minutes off the main track and be the equivalent of the, of the Kalahari Desert. Yeah. You, know, you need to have people looking and seeing what you were because it's very difficult to describe something that's never been done in the country yeah. before. Yeah. So when I went to the first location, we, which was in at High Lodge Forest Visitor Centre in Thetford Forest, I literally got out of the car and watched where people went when they got out of their cars. And I saw where the, the sight lines, the desire lines were. And they all, a lot of them seemed to be heading off in a particular direction. I followed them. And there were the big swings and slides and adventure playground. And I thought, right above that is the place to build Go Ape. So for six weeks, we were swinging through the trees, building this Go Ape course. And for six weeks, people on the swings and slides looked at that and said, well, what's that for? That's for Mm. the army, is it? We went, no, here's a leaflet, we on the 26th of March 2002. On the 26th of March 2002, they all lined up and physically, it was like being ram raided. (laughs) We didn't have enough harnesses. Um, We had people finishing the course and families stripping them of their harnesses such that they could be next. And so we were inundated from week we want. So that that footfall, understanding what your market is, And we had no brand awareness or brand presence or really no brand even then um, at that stage. So I think that was critical. Now, because we have a following um, and we have brand awareness, we can go to Virgin sites which don't have any footfall. And we can promote
0: that through uh, digital marketing and and customer database. Yeah. Which brings us. I uh, just want to cover two things. Firstly, uh, presumably you are. I mean, presumably you, 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 because you had that customer base almost ready-made from the off. You just went to the bank for upfront capital, did you, rather than investors, or how did you manage that? Well, business? I
1: know it's it's opportune to slate the banks right now, but I had banked privately with um, my child and co, which by RS, RBS um, for sixteen years or so. And I went to them and said, I've got this business idea. They said, oh, how interesting, great. I said, I need a bridging loan. I'm gonna, my wife, we were going to sell her flat to pay for it. And they said, okay, it'll take six weeks. And um, and then you, the, for the bridging loan to come through till you sell the flat. And it took 10 weeks. And I nearly, you know, we nearly would not be here today because um, I couldn't pay my supplier, which is a French company who were coming to build this course. And um, I promised them I'd pay them in eight weeks, weeks. Uh, bank told me it take six weeks and it didn't come through. And they were building exposed in the forest going, well, we'll carry on working, but we, we, <laughs> we hope you're going to come up with the money. Yeah, now, I yeah. think anybody else would probably say, well, we're going to down tools uh-huh. until you do come up yeah. with the money. Yeah. Um, and we wouldn't have opened on the time and, and cash flow was so tight because I was so incompetent. Um, we would have failed before we even started. So that's another lesson I've really learned is that only work with people you trust and like yeah. and build good, strong relationships. Because yeah. actually, with no, you, know, you don't have a strong relationship, you don't have a business. Yeah. And I, I know, owe a huge amount to my French friend, James Comte, for sticking with me. Um, he's built 21 courses for us now. We're by far and away his most important customer. Uh, we still are good friends. And um, it was an incredibly strong relationship
0: mm. based on nothing at mm. that time. I think very often businesses forget how important how I mean how important it is to develop really strong relationships with the suppliers and how how the, that how mutually beneficial a good relationship there can be. I think that's entirely right. Karen Billamora,
1: who set up Cobra Beer, um, has a slide which he uses and it is basically three circles, concentric circles all overlapping, and one is suppliers, one is customers, and one is staff. And he so said you should Treat them all the same with the same respect. Yeah. And how you treat your staff is how they'll treat your customers. How you treat your suppliers, you know, when things are going well, is how they'll treat you when things are going badly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and life is too short. You know, you spend too much time working. Why, why, uh, you know, be nasty to people? <laughs> you know, you might as well find a solution where everybody helps and everybody wins. And it's it's good fun. And if you get a relationship like that, it doesn't feel like work. And I'm sure it's the only way I can work.
0: Mm, mm, absolutely. Now, one of the motivations for, I know, early on for you, for you setting up GoApe was to, it was kind of a, a work, work-life balance. It was certainly to be, to be out of corporate world and closer to your family uh, and be with your young family more often, uh, both you and your wife. How has that actually panned out? I mean, because I think very often people, people set up a business thinking that it's going to allow them to spend more time with their family, and that ends up being harder to manage than if you were commuting.
1: It is, a, I mean, it has worked out very well. It may, I mean, there are opportunity costs in everything you do. When I was working for somebody else, I wasn't getting back before seven. And until you're about eight, and my oldest child is now eight, mm. you, know, you don't go to, you know, you're in bed and tucked up before then so um, i know a lot of people who love their children but only see them at weekends when they're too tired to really cope with them mm. and the children actually don't want to be with them weekend because they, they're strangers so um i still spend most breakfasts um and most teas with my family i did the school run today i i can see about two or three other dads who do the school run <laughs> yeah. and uh, um but i do spend some time away however um Beck still works, my wife still works with us four days a week and leaves at about four o'clock. So she does the pick-up and tea time and stuff. Um, and our children love what we do. Mm-hmm. Every summer, um, we pile the dog and the children into our battered old Seattle, Alhambra, and we dot-to-dot all our courses around the country. Now, last year, it took us three weeks, um, and we stay with what remaining friends we still have from university days. <laughs> this year, um, the... We've been uh, gifted a Winnebago and some uh, cabins to go and stay in. We're going to stay in the forest, mm-hmm. but we will spend four weeks on the road, traveling around the country, living in the forest. And when no one's watching, I tow my children up the zip wires, and they are go ape nuts. <laughs> Our staff seem to really like it because yeah, I think yeah. it's important that they see we're not just a bunch of um, private equity investors, yeah. somewhere anonymous. Yeah. You know, it is a family-run business with family values, yeah. um, and I think it makes a. It's probably the most single important thing I do each year mm. um, is getting out and being seen. Also, if you're there for a whole day mucking about in the woods, people forget you're really there, and you really see for real how your customers are being looked after, yeah. and how your staff engage with them, and you pick up pretty quickly whether there's a problem or not. Mm. Mm. And it's great fun. And it's all on expenses and work. Yeah. <laughs> and we go mountain biking the rest
0: of it. I mean, you know, it, it it's, it's, it's terrific. Uh, it sounds like a bloody good holiday to me. Um, okay. Let's just touch on, you mentioned your staff there. Um, obviously, you know, training is important. And there are all sorts of truisms about, you know, how important staff are. Is there anything that you have learnt um, in your entrepreneurial life about staff that you didn't fully appreciate in your corporate life, perhaps, about staff?
1: When I started out, there are a number of things that people will tell you. One of them that stands out is they say, your greatest are joys, uh, but also your worst problems will be Mm. people-related. And when I first started, I recruited only on competency, so I went on people's job description, you know, are they competent? And a few people I recruited said, well, I'm much better at you than at this and the rest. Of and I believe them. I thought, well, yeah, know, slightly surprised you might tell me that. But anyway, you know, and I didn't learn the lesson that actually you should only recruit people you really like. Mm. You know, you like and trust. And we have a rule now throughout the company. There's about 300 of us. Um, only recruit somebody you'd be entirely comfortable sitting next to at some company do or yeah. function. Yeah. Because Just because you don't get on doesn't mean you're bad people. It just means you do rub each other up the wrong way. And um, so I had a couple of painful experiences where we just, with key people, we just rubbed each other up the wrong way or they rubbed other people up. And now, by working, um, we we recruit, for I think, for people skills primarily and then technical skills secondary. Now, there are certain IT and things like that it's the the T and the technical needs to be stronger. But yeah. that's been a key lesson for us. And once you get a sort of a core genetic makeup of your of your company ethos, yeah. actually it's self-fulfilling, self-recruiting. Yeah. And we have an amazing team, a brilliant team. I, I mean, last week I spent two days going down to Bristol and I was climbing up all sorts of weird gantries in, in a quarry that we'd been asked to go and have a look at, which was brilliant fun and doing yeah. all sorts of stuff I didn't allow the people I was with to do because... I'm not going to see myself <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> and then I went up to look at a zip trekking course in, in Ludlow a beautiful part of, uh, of on the Welsh borders um, and we've got some cool bits of kits and big land rovers with carry ladders on top and we were going along these forestry tracks and I was on top of the roof surfing. You know, like on a snowboard <laughs> on top of the top <laughs> with four people, and Rebecca and another Rebecca jumped up on top with me, and we we're just having a lovely time. Yeah. And I just thought, this is fantastic. And they were just great friends yeah. who happened to work alongside yeah, us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a great pleasure. So be really careful who you choose to work with, work with people who you like. I think the last thing is, is um, you, the most important thing I felt is if you want to grow a business rather than just run it with you've got to move from being a hero. Uh-huh. To a zero, you've got uh-huh. to make yourself redundant yeah. every year. Yeah. No, yeah. Long, you, know, you can't do what you're doing last year this year. And so, what I mean by that is you have to empower uh-huh. people uh-huh. and give them ownership to uh-huh. the point that you know, success for me is when somebody can come to me and say, "I want to spend a hundred grand." You don't need to look at this. Trust me. You know, when people are feeling f- confident enough to spend yeah. your money freely, yeah. you know that's when you've got a business that can really go somewhere. Getting people to that point. Is very difficult. If they've got to get you to sign everything off, you've got to do all the final decisions mm. and do everything. Actually, you will you are restricted because everything is dependent upon you. Yeah. So I say I'm the chief gorilla, I'm just the delivery guy. You know, I go around delivering, which is sort of true because if I spend time in the forest, that's where I'm needed, mm. and I see myself as brand custodian. But delegating and empowering to your best people, bringing them on, and very much also asking them not what is you, what do you want them to do for the company but what can the company do for them Mm. because Mm. actually you know we all expect people when they start that they should stay for two years be disappointed if they left before that but actually you want them if they're good to stay for four Mm. so you have to say good people can choose to work for whoever they want Mm. you know and if you want the best which we do Mm. how are you going to keep them so what i say to my people is i hope that somebody in this room will be running the company one day but I hope some of you will be running your own companies one day. Yeah. We want our managers to run our business entrepreneurially. So we want entrepreneurs. Now, if we want entrepreneurs, they will be wanting to run their own businesses someday. So let's talk. Tell us what you want to do. See if we can help develop your business plan. Wow. See if we can help send you on courses, which is going to help you better. So you stay with us longer. You know, and we'd be delighted if you go and run whatever it is, your own venture center or something like that. Yeah. And a lot of people are picking their ears up, either to stick within us and grow as the company mm. grows mm-hmm. or to grow their own. Uh, I think that's very successful. And it feels right in this age yeah. because we're not saying marry the company. We're yeah. saying live part of your life with us. Come yeah, along yeah, the yeah. journey. We'll, yeah. we'll delight in your own success. And we yeah. re- re- really hope some of you do go off because yeah. actually we retain so much talent, we sort of
0: need some of our best people to leave <laughs> to, to leave. allow the young people off. <laughs> no one ever leaves. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's the nice problem to have, isn't it? But but also, I've I've not heard that kind of perspective before, and that's quite the the the, the kind of being an almost mini entrepreneurial training training ground for uh, sort of seeding a whole range of entrepreneurial managerial or entrepreneurial talent across the country is a uh, is very smart, very interesting, cool. Just to finish with, you hinted at earlier about the brand um, and that you were kind of. a brand unconscious perhaps at the beginning it was it was about actually setting up the practicalities and you you kind of hinted that you you know that, that, that go ape as a brand could go go all sorts of places i mean it could become you know it could become a um, a, a natural energy drink for for the sake of argument what what, what are your um long term sort of plans for for go ape as a brand well that is an interesting
1: question because i I, you know, ran away from corporate life, you know, kicking and screaming for the woods and didn't leave a note. And we're in danger of becoming corporate life again, because we are, you know, getting relatively big risk sort or of 10 million quid business. Um, we have aspirations to be a sort of 200 million quid business. Um, but the reason for that is, is actually because it's been a huge amount of fun doing this. And I didn't realize that when you set up a business, you join a club, you didn't know that Existed. Mm. Suddenly, people who are also in their own game doing their own things are interested in what you're doing, Um, and it has been enormously good fun. I think I have grown up a little as a result, and it is incredibly empowering because Mm. when you're your own boss, you can do whatever you like. So, if I choose to go and climb on weird structures in quarries in Bristol I can pretend that is a businessly strategic important thing to do Um, and if you want to set up another business we'll go into catering which we're doing or go to Australia or America which we're doing as well you know you just have to convince yourself that it's important and you can so um, where's the brand going to go I think the brand will always be focused around our core values which are creating adventures encouraging people to live life adventurously it's about being challenging, surprising, exciting. So we won't do the same old. We won't do what corporate life would call a vanilla product. We mm. won't just do the same as everybody else. We will always try and and be a, an innovative brand. Mm. Mm. We will also um, always try and be a customer wow brand. We are built on customer delight. So we may take people up from the trees, but we're about delighting our customers. So we we'll always look to see how do we do things better and and keeping on that and within that anything that hits those we will we will potentially do so um i think that and that we've we've shied away from things like merchandising and catering in the past because we're not passionate about that Mm. and i couldn't see how that could be challenging surprising exciting but somebody like howie's um Mm. or innocent dreams somehow do that with their own product lines clothes and stuff and actually our customers are saying to us it was a shame we couldn't take something away. They sort of expect to be able to wear something. And if our brand is that powerful that people actually want to associate themselves with, it's almost a little bit disappointing that they can't take a Mm. T-shirt. Now, I've always thought, T-shirts, how can that be exciting, challenging? But actually, we're beginning to think that's an area that we could do. But we'll only do it by getting people who are passionate about that sort of stuff to come and advise us. The great thing about pushing a business on is that people like Howie's, Fat Face, uh, Innocent Drinks, are all quite good mates of ours nowadays. Mm, yeah. um, and, you know, Duncan Goose, um, who's Entrepreneur of the Year and his uh, water brand, it, you find yourself sitting at tables, um, at awards ceremonies and things like that. And it's really great to be able to tap into people who are incredibly generous with their time and their their advice. Um, and I think that is good fun. And I think our brand, therefore, could go as far as we want to.
0: Yeah,
1: I may or may not be with it, mm. I think I will always want to stay with Go8 because my children are nuts about it, and they, mm. I think, would really enjoy having an opportunity to to get involved if they want to. Yeah. Not least because we've got some world class climbers and kayakers and stuff, and I think they're going to want to do that. So great for them to have you know oh, yeah. those yeah. those uh, introductions into um, into those worlds. But I also think that you know I'm keen to live my own life adventurously, and if I can do that with work. Um, with a few long sabbaticals yeah. Yeah, every now and again I, I don't see any reason I have no desire to sell I have no desire to retire I'm only 40 when I say only 40 I'm, <laughs> there isn't a day that goes by that, oh my gosh I'm 40 but yeah. you know I think that's where the brand can go and I, yeah. and I think as long as we stay true to those values the brand can do it without me
0: Tristan thank you ever so much really really great interview <laughs> you're just that's ending on the point where you're, you're no longer involved but there we are yeah. <laughs> bye <laughs> bye so there we are. Thanks so, so much for Tristram there. And uh, I think a lot to inspire uh, and a lot to learn from, from that interview. So yeah, I hope you all found that useful. Talking of the kind of corporate life and entrepreneurial zest and rediscovering it or amusing it in in your your work, Um I had an interesting email from Pete Tinning. Thanks, Pete, for that, who, who enjoys the podcast on his Way home from the office, and uh, you know, a little little exchange there about entrepreneurship and the corporate life, and comparisons and contrasting, and where to get that zest and energy. And I hope Pete, uh, you enjoyed the interview today, which kind of covers a little bit of that ground. Um, and also a big thank you to one of uh, Small Biz Pod's most long-standing listeners, Daryl Caldwell, who uh, suggests a topic for the podcast about. Uh, people who are able to run a business from no specific location, kind of virtual businesses running a business from around the world. They're able to travel. They have all that freedom but can still run their enterprise very often online. But uh, it also chimes true with a a famous book of recent years, the Tim Ferriss for our work week and so on and so forth. So uh, thanks for that, Daryl. And to anybody who has an idea for the podcast and the, the guys on the Facebook group are always suggesting possible uh, topics for future podcasts then do head over to the facebook group uh, sign up to the group uh, go on to smallbizpod.co.uk click on the button there for facebook and then by all means contribute or just send me a suggestion direct at alex at smallbizpod.co.uk always really really important that we get your feedback good or bad about the podcast and, and indeed about future episodes so thanks ever so much so straight on to music for this week's episode and it is a really, really, very cool track from an artist or group called The Schizoid Club and the track is called Theme from Endgame with many thanks to Iota Promenet. <laughs>
1: Goodbye. <laughs>